Hello everyone, this episode is brought to you by Zencaster. If you've ever thought about podcasting before and realised that you need a lot of different tools and services, those days are over. With Zencaster's all-in-one podcasting platform, you can create your podcast all in one place and distribute to Spotify, Apple and other major destinations. It's now super easy to record a podcast with Zencaster. You just log in using your browser and start recording high-quality podcasts straight away. We'll just record studio quality sound and up to 4K video with your guests and feel a sense of zen knowing Zencaster's multi-layered backups ensure you always have recordings in the highest quality even if the connection is unstable. Go to zencaster.com slash pricing and use my promo code CTHROUGHPANELPOD and you'll get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster's played can. I want you to have the same easy experience I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. Hello everyone, you're listening to See Through Panel. This is a comic book review and graphic novel discussion podcast. My name is Fahed Rahman and today I am joined by Kyle Lawrence. Kyle is a comic writer and producer from New Jersey. He's been a student of the Cuba Art School and has uh, short comics features in anthologies from Onoshi Press, Back from the Deaths and more. Recently he completed a successful Kickstarter campaign for his one-shot comic Pro Rabbit in the Jazz Age Shame of the Zebra, a 1920s mystery set in the heart of the Ku Klux Klan territory with an added twist of mysticism and African-American folklore. And he also runs a comic-related YouTube channel called All Hail King Rex. How are you doing? I'm doing great. You know, thanks for having me on. Great uh, intro. Uh, yeah, uh, thanks, uh, <laughs> thanks for joining us. And uh, today we're going to be discussing the Pineapples of Raph by yes. uh k so i'll just do uh, a quick intro to this so uh i just want to quickly thank friend of the podcast francois vignol for sending sending off sending us the review copies of this being published by pow pow studios and they're going to be releasing this and other graphic uh, graphic novels in the us and the uk in august of this year so he's kindly sent us some advanced review copies so i'll just read out the the blurb for Pineapples of Wrath, set in the heart of Trois Rivoires. Let me just, let me have another go at that. Uh, let me have another run. <laughs> I, I had yeah, to yeah. look it up myself. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so let's uh, set in the heart of uh, Trois Rivoires. I'm guessing I should have looked at how, how that was pronounced, but I we'll... think you're pretty close. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, world famous and uh, perfectly f- fictitious Hawaiian districts. The Pineapples of Wrath follows amateur detective Marie. Plum as she investigates the suspicious death of her next door neighbor. While local police believes the former limbo champion was a victim of a fatal pina colada overdose, Marie Plum is convinced that there's more to the case than meets the eye. This is a funny, loving tribute to the Tiki Kish and old Agatha Christie novels, and it was translated by Helg Dasher and Robin 
Lang. So when we kind of initially kind of started exchanging emails, I sent you two or three options for books that we'd could potentially discuss. And you you picked this one. What what kind of stood out to you about it? I had recently read uh, Steinbeck's The Grapes of Wrath, which is a really great novel. So I saw Pineapples of Wrath and I thought, oh, maybe this will be some sort of parody or some sort of spin on it. Uh, it's not. It's not at all. I think the author just likes puns. And because there's also a uh, in the story, there is a fictional detective called uh, McSnuffles. And yeah. she also has a book called The Skates of Wrath. So I think that the author just really likes that pun. I would agree with you on that one. I think just to provide a little bit of context to to the to the book. So they mentioned kind of that this neighborhood of Tra Rivera's. It's a neighborhood of it's a neighborhood of a Canadian town uh, which is kind of really she kind of really loves taking these odd juxtapositions and creating um kind of humor out of them. Let's mm. kind of start talking a little bit about uh, the artwork. So this is a black and white comic what what, uh, grab, what 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 sort of things kind of grabbed you about about the art i will say about the art even though it is sort of um what you would call a simplistic sort of cartoonish style very rounded simple eyes the backgrounds and environments are very detailed like uh, each individual seat will be based off of like tiki heads but they'll each be a different tiki head people's different hawaiian shirts will have different patterns this and that like it it feels real. It really does kind of get you into the environment of this sort of Hawaiian tourist trap in Quebec, Canada, which is very silly, but it it makes for some very nice visuals. This is uh, for a book that's, I think, how many pages? It's, I think it's 130 odd pages long. Yeah, it's something yeah. like that. Yeah, it's it's a breeze to read through. Um, that's in part due to the, the artwork. The characters, as you mentioned, kind of simplistically, cartoonishly drawn and kind of there are kind mm. of quite heavy details in the the, the um, settings. I'm just looking at a, a bar scene there and it's kind of very heavily detailed. Yeah. One of the things I really appreciate, kind of one of the things when I was rereading re through it again, that I thought that was kind of quite clever. They never use more than five panels per page, yeah, and that requires such economy in terms of like writing the script mm -hmm. and planning your art out and thumbnailing to keep that sort of discipline. But because they've kept that sort of discipline, it yeah, you know, it just it's just, just a really easy uh, comic book to read. Is that something that you picked up on as well? Yeah, I had noticed that they very much are focused on the art. I would say this is very art focused. Not that yeah. the story isn't good or the dialogue isn't fun at all, but every page, like you said, has less than five panels. And sometimes you'll just have one or two panels, but it manages to make the beats really good. Like one is like on one page, she's trying to sneak into a quarantined off room because the police blocked it off. It's a crime scene. So one just has her kind of peeking out of the door really simply. The next, she's sort of tiptoeing through the hall. She's like halfway in midair to sort of give like uh, sort of a lightness to her feet that she's trying to be quiet. And then the next is just the tape's been torn through and the door is flung open. So you do get a sense of like rhythm and progression. And even though Everything is drawn with a, I mean, I, I don't want to keep using the term simplistic because I think it kind of undermines the art, but yeah. more like, you know, a classical cartoon style. It's not 
trying to be realistic or realism, I would, uh, for anybody who needs a visual, maybe quarantine, compare it to something like uh, Adventure Time, something around yeah. that era. Yeah. Very like, you know, the noodle limbs, the pinhole eyes, uh, simple shapes, but it manages to make all of these people look very expressive. Yeah. And it makes their very detailed. Like they have this one thing, it's a, a bowling alley. They'll do these pages where it's more like a marquee or a poster advertising either like a person or a place said so the bolorama and then they would have different hot dogs they have like a french fry hot dog one scoop hot vanilla hot dog which is just one with like a scoop of ice cream on it and even though it's all made with simple lines it's all very detailed and you can get like how this would look in real life actually the other person that this kind of reminded me of just due to the geometric shapes that were used in a lot of the character design was um like peanuts like charlie brown's charles yeah. schutz Char charles schutz's work and like simple doesn't necessarily mean that it's easy because to kind of hit the character beats with the art that they've they've hit requires a lot of skill um yeah. and you know the faces are very expressive and kind of like choreographing each panel as well just to get that economy of, of movement is it, you know, it's, it takes a lot of um it takes a lot of like skill to kind of do that correctly and that needs to be done especially you know the lines are very clean it's black and white art she mm -hmm. they, they use a really they use kind of the juxtaposition between like light and dark uh, panels really effectively uh, as well and i just wanted to kind of pick up on your i, mean, I think it's one of my favorite parts of the book is kind of when they are introducing a, a new location or a new character they do have these um posters where they say so for example when they when they introduce our heroine or when they're introducing for example um shirley mcsnuffles they've got like, all the titles of her books kind of who her sworn enemy is and i really you know it's, it's a great way of injecting a little bit of uh humor into there and this is a very very humorous book i wouldn't say it's like laugh out loud but it's kind of one of those things where you read read it and it's just it makes you smile all yeah, the way through which is really it's pleasant. definitely cheeky you know yeah. it's not it's not like set up punchline kind of thing it's just you know everybody kind of has their own quirks and their own little cute attitudes i would also kind of compare it to like a wes anderson kind of thing oh yeah uh, yeah yes. like everybody kind of has their own deal and the and the locales are very unique and so everything just stands out, like the set pieces, all that. Even I think the posters where they're kind of just like labeling things that are around the room. That's a very Wes Anderson thing to do. Yeah, yeah, I, I, that's, I think that's a great comparison to make. I mean, I could actually see Wes Anderson actually maybe adapting this in some sort of way. And I think it would, would work kind of I sort of, as a, yeah, I could, I, mean, I could definitely see that, that, that may kind of give you an indication whether you're going to enjoy this or not, because people's um, uh, patience with Wes Anderson is very variable. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I think. Yeah. So, um, but I, 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 I enjoyed that. Well, I was reading other reviews on the, around this kind of one of the words that came up for, and they even use it in, in the blurb as well as kish. And I think it's dead. There's definitely Keesh. kind of, yeah, yeah. yeah there's definitely, um, there is that kind of this, uh, kind of, I um, would, I would say that like, I mean, especially for an American comic, it's, it's quiche. And yeah. I think because a lot of times in America, it's just dominated by like superhero stories or action stories or something adjacent to that. So something like this, that's a little bit more character focused, a little more mellow. It's more about the scenery and, the environment like the like the area and the place is actually like a big character it's important to the story in in terms of not just being looking pretty but also influencing the characters influencing the overall plot 
entirely. Yeah, so, I mean, Kish is correct, but I think there is a big change happening in American comics where you're getting to the point where a lot of kids who grew up on, like, uh, anime and manga stuff, like more Japanese-inspired influences, are now the adults. And so now they're writing and they're influencing. And you and in manga, they have a lot more variety. There's something called like slice of life, where it's more just about the daily lives of people and their sort of cute, uh, cute traits. And it's kind of like just watching these people go through different challenges and stuff. And this book has elements of that kind of thing, also mixed into like a murder mystery. And it makes for a very fun combination. So, yeah, I could see how the average American comic book reader might like it's not the it's not the typical fare, but it is a very enjoyable read. Agree with that. And I think the the other thing that kind of impressed me as well, this is this is a a translation. I, I understand the original was written in in French so translating humor from one language to another is not always the easiest thing right to to do and i i'm assuming there are probably some cultural quebecois references in this that we're missing out that maybe don't mm. translate but there's still enough humor in there that that you can kind of latch on the you know the murder mystery stuff plucky heroine that's frustrated with the the police's lack of um effort um yes. the, you know a, a cast of characters yeah you know, her being kind of suspicious of everyone that she she uh comes across deciding that not being sure who to trust and who not to trust all those things that you can kind of latch onto and then the dressing around it is very very unique as yeah. well yeah it has like a very familiar skeleton but it's it's uh, it becomes its own thing, and I could definitely see this as like the first in a series of mystery novels or mystery comics, graphic novels, things like that, starring this character who keeps happening, happenstancing into these uh, weird happenings going on in her town. Just want to touch on the the writing as well. Is there anything that particularly stood out to you? about the writing? Because I think this is, a, 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 in my opinion, it's kind of a very well written book. It, this could. Yeah. So easily begin cringy, but it's it kind of it's yeah. kind of it's not at all. I do get you when you say the cringy part. I do think there are some people who I feel like this this style here is a it's a known style, and there are people who can do it better than other. This sort of like world full of uh, quirky, silly characters thrown into a more darker storyline, and it's kind of like anything. Any I kind of think that. Any writer can take any concept and turn it good if they're a good writer. It doesn't really matter what it exactly is. But this this book manages to do well. The story itself is it's fairly straightforward. But I think just watching the characters navigate through it and learning about this town and learning about who's who makes you appreciate it more there's definitely the writer's own voice injected into this story Cafon's got a very unique voice i mean i've, I've i read a fair bit of belgian franco comics and because i get get, get sense a lot of them quite a few of them got got a quirky sense of humor but this is this is kind of its own unique flavor you know very very much characters kind of playing off each other and lots of puns and lots of silly jokes kind of wordplay and yeah um, she's she's not afraid to be they're not afraid to be gruesome either there's kind of a few kind of quite gruesome bits 
Yeah, um, there's a couple the here and there. Yeah, so uh, I just want to kind of close off the, the discussion of it. Is there anything else, any points that um uh, we haven't raised or uh, discussed about the book that you want to you want to talk about? No, I think we went over a lot of it pretty well. I really enjoyed this. I I, I would kind of highly recommend it for most people to read. Like I said, if you enjoy, I I'm not even sure that the West Anderson test would be a fair test because it's not quite as as jarring as some people find West Anderson. It's this this is very light, it's very um breezy. Yeah. Um I would say that. It's a little it's a little uh it's a little breezier. It's like Wes Anderson is when Wes Anderson does like a really Wes Anderson movie, you can really feel it. You know? Yeah. This this is like I don't know maybe like just like a little a little drop of Wes Anderson yeah. just a little bit of a taste. Other thing that is sort of reminded me of there's there's a, a TV show in the UK well book series in the UK called Agatha Raisin which is you know I don't know if you've ever seen these you know this genre of kind of like um, Lifetime movies where it's kind of like a woman who's not a detective doing like detective stuff. And they, I know, know, I know of the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's sort of, I think it's kind of sort of taking a little bit of the Mickey out of those sorts of things as well. There's a little bit, yeah. And um, kind of the the last thing I think, the last thing kind of on my notes here is it's sort of a little bit anti propaganda. Kind of the only policeman here is completely useless. Yeah. utterly uninterested in their job but yet they get all the um all the plaudits at the end of the case which is um i felt that was kind of quite um funny and um they don't even have a name they just refer to him as agent uh 342 which i thought was um <laughs> which i thought was kind of quite <laughs> funny as well so yeah um yeah so I'd, I'd recommend this one How, uh, what, what your um uh, closing thoughts um yeah i mean in terms of the Anti-copaganda. I mean, there's a lot of talks about cops these days and people's opinions of cops and sort of their failures. And, you know, this book does show like a very cartoonish version of it, but something that does happen where things just aren't looked into as heavily as they are because the person involved is maybe just like an old alcoholic or somebody. So they're just like, it's not it's not a priority to look into it. So it sort of pokes fun at things like that as well. Is this is this a book you'd kind of recommend or? Oh yeah, okay, I yeah, definitely yeah. would. I think it's even though it has some more gruesome parts because it's a murder mystery. I do think it can be recommended to a younger audience as yeah. well. It's not particularly like gory or bloody or violent. Yeah. In fact, the, the some of the violent moments are often portrayed in like a very slapstick kind of way. Yeah. Yeah. So. I'll, so I'll, I'll, Definitely yeah. agree with that. Yeah, um, that's. I think that's a recommendation from from both of us. So uh, let's uh, let's start talking about you and kind of the projects that you're working on. So let, let's talk about um, your successful Kickstarter. Do you want to talk a little bit how about how that came about and the genesis of the story and um, how you started putting your your team together? If that's not too a bigger question to answer in one go. <laughs> I mean, it's a little big, but I'll yeah. try and yeah. make the answer. Uh, relatively small. The story is called Brother Rabbit in the Jazz Age. I plan it as this is the first story in a sort of larger series. And it's kind of uh, kind of a uh, a nice coincidental happenstance that Pineapples of Wrath is a murder mystery and Brother Rabbit in the Jazz Age, uh, this story specifically called Shame of the Zebra, is also a murder mystery. For people who want to know, it takes place in 1925 Indiana, which during that time, had some of the highest population of KKK in the entire uh, United States. This was uh, the time where a particularly powerful Klansman named D.C. Sevenston was getting very popular and he was engaging people. He was rallying people up. 
And so it takes place in there. And the basic premise is there are a bunch of former slaves who were all from the same plantation who are being found dead with most of their bodies turned into salt, being left behind big heaps of salt. And the only thing and the only witness says that they saw a Confederate soldier phantom do it. From there, they hire this sort of um, sleuth, enigmatic trickster, shaman, and saboteur who is calls himself Brer Rabbit. Now, for people who don't know, Brer Rabbit is an African-American folklore figure. Um, if you've ever heard of Disney's Song of the South, that's where it comes from. Uh, it comes from the tales of Uncle Remus. And this character is, they're basically animal fables where all of these animals live together in like a little village. And oftentimes the predators try to get at Brother Rabbit and he has to use his wits and tools to outsmart them. And after going through a lot of like uh, folklore and stuff, I'm into a lot of that kind of stuff all throughout, like all countries, all peoples. So I fell on this sort of brother rabbit. He's like a trickster type. You could also compare him to someone like maybe Loki. Uh, he's uh, conniving. He's a trickster. He can be selfish and self-serving. But oftentimes the brother rabbit stories specifically center around him getting away from much more powerful forces. And a lot of these stories were told by slaves because they also were people who had very little and were dealing with powerful forces controlling them, and all they really had was their community and their self and their wits. And I found that a very compelling story. So I kind of came up with this idea of this almost like a, a pulpy superhero based on the Brother Rabbit character. So my character, he wears what's basically like uh, one of those old leather, leather football helmets with like an aviator goggles and then flappy bunny ears. And it's supposed to be dismissive and that sort of thing so that people don't take him seriously. And then he causes chaos specifically for the Ku Klux Klan. All right. So how did I get the team together? Uh, I proposition people on Reddit, this and that. I there are, there are subreddits like comic books collabs that I usually have gone to historically. And I'll just post it like, hey, uh, I'm making this story. This is how many pages I need. This is what I need. I need you to post your art. Uh, for one thing, I do pay all of my artists. So I call myself a producer as well because I write scripts, but I pay people to produce art for me and I pay letterers to do this for me. I have experimented with collaboration in the past, but a lot of times those don't fall through. A lot of times artists uh, don't want to spend a whole lot of time on a project they're not getting paid for, which is completely reasonable. So at a certain time, I kind of just decided, all right, if I really want this thing to come alive, I need to just sort of suck it up and put my own money and time into this. And so I paid uh, a very talented artist from South America named Eric Judson to do half of the book. And he took a long time because I had to communicate through an intermediary who actually spoke English. But eventually, Eric Judson just vanished. I have no idea where he is. The intermediary has no idea where he is. He just stopped. So then I had to kind of buckle down and find a new artist. And luckily I found Zilson Costa, who does a very good job of replicating the style. And he's actually working on another shorter story that's going to be available in one of Oneshi Press's anthologies that are coming up. 
So I finally got all of the pages needed, all of them lettered, all that. And I shopped it around to different publishers. Uh, of course, in the comic book world, it's very difficult to just get someone to look at your random story when you're like a no-name artist, author who has maybe a couple of anthologies that have been done online and that's it. I just was like, I'm going to start, I'm going to do a Kickstarter. So I spent a lot of time developing my Kickstarter. What's going to be my rewards? I deve- I eventually settled on um, the simplistic approach because this is one of my first times actually putting through a Kickstarter. So I just decided, okay, I'm going to do a physical book and I'm going to do a digital copy, which was easy, and a sticker. And that was it. So then I started promoting it around to everybody. Uh, I got a lot of positive engagement from some of the comics groups that I'm in. One thing is called um, Comics Experience, CEX, which recently rebanded to Comics Connections. Um, They've helped me out for a long time. I've been on their forums where I have traded scripts with other people and critiques and gotten advice from a lot of really smart people who are in the industry. And so I work with that and with help from friends, family, people who are just interested, I managed to hit my goal. And more than just hit my goal, I managed to exceed it. And so with that exceeded goal, I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to throw in another prize for everybody. It's going to be a bookmark. Uh, This project's coming to life. The books are being printed right now. And I'm just waiting for them to ship to me. And then I'm going to have to ship them out. And uh, yeah. So this was this was like a process that went over several years from the first draft to getting that uh, getting the project yeah. successfully funded a Kickstarter. How long did it take you to get it uh, done? I believe maybe like four years. Oh wow! Okay, like yeah. if we're talking from like the like the inception of the idea in my yeah. head or to putting it down on paper. I mean, in the beginning, like the Brer Rabbit character, I just kind of knew I liked the idea of this trickster character based on the folklore of Brer Rabbit. I liked that. Originally, I thought, I don't know, maybe I'll make him like a a modern day superhero who can do magic and teleport or something. But as I sort of got more into like like the actual American history of slavery and segregation and and the Ku Klux Klan and all these things, sort of a more grounded historical story started to take place. And I decided that 1925 was a good time for it because that was a time when membership of the Ku Klux Klan was 2 million strong. There was like a recorded number. I mean, these people were involved with governors and mayors and presidents and all that sort of thing. Definitely a very rich vein of material to kind of like mine for stories. They were a a massive pillar of power. Um, I don't know if you know, do you know of the movie birth of a nation? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's something like I'm not, I've not watched it, but I know it is kind of how, how culturally significant it is. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, for anybody who doesn't know, it was basically this extremely racist propaganda piece that was created by a man named D.W. Griffith to sort of glorify the Klan. Now, the Klan had existed beforehand, but they were very openly violent and very openly cruel, and they sort of fell out of favor. But then this movie came out to reinvigorate the Klan. They made, and they made like this whole like mythology of these 
um, you know, the, the, the people from the south of the Civil War who had their land and their people and their slaves stolen from them. And now these black monsters are on the loose and they're taking women and they're violent. And these are the only people who are brave enough to take it. And this movie was actually uh, shown in the White House. So when people like want to downplay the KKK's history in America, it cannot be downplayed how ingrained this very white supremacist, slave-mongering, violent group was in the government of America. Uh, yes, you know, unfortunately, lessons get forgotten um, over time. Uh, and sometimes they get covered up, they get changed, yeah, they get smeared across. And I think that's a lot of what I want to do with the Brer Rabbit stories going forward. I have stories planned out. I sort of have a, a line for a solid beginning of e beginning and end and a couple of historical details I want to touch on throughout. Apart from being kind of drawn to this idea of this, uh, this trickster set in the South, kind of what were your other motivations for pursuing this particular story? It very much sounds like there's a moral impetus there. Yeah, in a way, I do feel that way. I if I, I know that you're not in America, but in America, there is currently a very large rise of these kind of clan people. They kind of obscure their their true hands here and there. They've gotten a little trickier with their wording. They've obscured and abstracted what they mean, but. In the end of the day, what you're really looking at is the rise of the Confederate idea, this idea of eugenics, racial superiority, private property ownership that extends to people itself, um, very strict Christian religious fundamentalism, uh, the power of, of masculinity and this and that over the feminine, the power of subjugation, this and that. Yeah. Uh, so... Mm -hmm. It's I very think similar this, to what's yeah. happening in the UK. So yeah, it's not it's not too different. Oh yeah. I've heard yeah. the UK is having it, but I feel like with America, it has a very distinct it has a very distinct brand yeah. of it. Because I think America has has been very good at sort of uh, portraying itself as sort of the uh, the the world's hero, the world leader, especially after World War Two. You know, you know, we went in and we beat the Nazis who were these horrible, destructive mongers, and we're the good guys, and we have all the freedom, and we have the, the free land and all this stuff, and you can make a business, and capitalism is the most free system on the planet. America has done very good at marketing itself. Let's put it that way. How do you write? Uh, do you, you know, what, what script format do you use? And yeah, just let's start off with that basic question, kind of what script format are, are you using? Is it the Marvel DC, or do you have like a weird... And wacky individual variation. It's definitely not the uh, the Marvel Stanley style. In a way, you kind of do that, but I see as I kind I kind of start off with the big picture. Or if I have an idea, sometimes I will just like open up a Word document and just type like the title of something. It'll just be like Brer Rabbit, and then I'll type out a few distant ideas of uh, the Ku Klux Klan, um, a trickster. Um, uh, propaganda in America, this and that. And then as I kind of spend my days thinking about it, I'll come more to like the the uh, individual story level where I'll have a summary of like, oh, I want this story to be about this. I want this story to be about slavery. I want this story to be about the one drop rule. I want this story to be about prohibition. And then I start going even 
smaller. And then I go, okay, so in this arc, they're going to go to this town and they meet this people and this and that. And then I'll start to get to the actual point where I structure it of like, um, you know, panel description. Uh, This person stands here. He moves like this. And then dialogue for the characters there. So I start from big and then sort of zoom in slowly until I get uh, precisely what I'm looking for. One of the questions I kind of uh, I usually ask when I'm talking to creators is like, what is what is your setup? Um, kind of where do you write? How do you write? Um, so, for example, one of the creators that I um, spoke to, sometimes he'll just take his iPad out to the park and he'll start kind of like sketching and drawing comics or uh, cartoons out there. Other people, they need like a dark you know, they need to be locked away from from everything uh, in a studio in the garden, very quiet, all that sort of stuff. So, kind of, mm. what is you're sitting down to write? What what is the setup um, for that? I I write anywhere and everywhere I can. One of the things that I like to do is I have Google Drive on my phone, and it allows me to open up Word documents and save that. So, if I literally am just like walking around town and I have an idea, I will just pull it out of my pocket. And just start taking notes of things. Um, if I'm uh, taking a train ride and I'm waiting there, I'll do that. If I'm at a stoplight, I'll do that, even though I shouldn't. Um, but there's, I, I don't have this sort of like setup of, oh, I have to put this to here and I have to sit in this spot and turn off all the lights and do that. That that can help a lot of people. It also helps to you know focus when you have something right in front of you. But I think being able to have a writing tool at your disposal very quickly helps me tremendously because I'm as like, as soon as I get an idea, I'm like, I need to write this down right now, or I might lose it completely. Uh, So I think what I hear from a lot of people who always ask me about like writing one, I don't know if you're going to ask this, but a lot of people ask like, 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 how do you, how do you come up with the ideas or how do you, how do you start writing or how do you do it? I'm like, you just start tapping on the, you just start tapping the keys on a word document until something coherent comes on. It sounds like really simplistic and almost goofy, but it's like, just get something on the page, get something on that page. Even if it's just like a title, a title that you like, something that's just sticking in your head, get it on that page. And then once you have that document there, your mind will be linked to it. So you're always thinking, Oh wait, now I can go back to it and type up some more stuff. And then because you've typed up more stuff, you'll make some connections and now it's not just swirling thoughts in your mind. Now it's words on a paper. Do you set aside um, a specific time of day to write? I mean, I approach it as whenever I have time to get some writing okay. in, I yeah. will do it. Okay. I, I mean, I work a, I work a full-time job. Yeah. I have other commitments and other things that I have to do. Writing is something that I would love to be my full-time job uh, down the line. But right now, it's just it's something that... I have to squeeze in and that I want to squeeze in. Yeah. Because I love it so much. Yeah. How do you balance kind of that, that work life balance with creative projects? And is there any advice that you can give to other people that might be thinking about mm-hmm. either writing, you know, starting writing or starting drawing or, or mm-hmm. starting a, a, a Kickstarter? Okay. I mean, for people who want to start writing or start drawing, like I said, the, the first thing to do is just start. Literally, um, there are actually techniques. Um, I forget exactly what they're called. Some people would call it like absent-minded writing, absent-minded drawing, where you kind of just take your pen or pencil onto the paper, or you take your fingers to the keyboard or whatever you use to type or write, and you just start going. You just start figuring out what you want 
and you start typing up little things, little notes, little draw little circles that kind of connect to other circles that start forming a certain shape that you like. It's kind of just to one, start building up that habit of just getting your tools in front of you. And then you will start to be able to go, you know, it's kind of like riding a bicycle. You, you have to start pushing on the pedals and that first couple of pushes is really difficult. But once you start doing it, if you get really comfortable, you'll just start flying. I've had that where I've been, I would be thinking about a story and I'm almost dreading putting it down to paper because I'm, because I still don't have everything figured out. I don't know what I want. I don't even know if this is a good idea, but then I start typing and writing and then I start researching stuff for the story and it just becomes this, this smooth ride where everything just starts to build and build and build until eventually, oh, now I have all this stuff. Now everything is starting to look more coherent. And now it makes a little bit more sense. Other people that I've talked to said, right, uh, there's one guy, Steve, uh, who I did a uh, did a podcast with, and he he basically said, right, Sunday Sunday evenings after I've put the kids to sleep, I get an hour to write and to draw and to edit, and that oh, hour is sacred. Yeah. So I have to I have to get everything done within that hour or a couple of hours mm-hmm. because the rest of the week I'm just going to be like too busy so some people set aside sacred time yeah, i think from the sounds yeah. of it, you're taking a little bit more like a flexible approach kind of like grabbing like an hour yeah. here or 10 minutes there whenever whenever you can which um uh sounds kind of quite emotionally exhausting <laughs> uh, it, as well yeah yeah it can be um i mean i i don't have children um yeah. uh, i don't have children i live with roommates i have a girlfriend so that's yeah. part of my time but um yeah i i don't have as many requirements as everyone else, I yeah. would believe. Um, also, I do have ADHD, so I do have sort of the biological need to to like keep going like a locomotive. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I guess that might be a little bit cheating in some way. But I would say with if you ever have things that you want to do, I would say make a list. I think making lists is sort of like one of the the best, simplest cheat codes for life. It's just like if you have to do something just make a note of it on your phone or write it down and stick it on your refrigerator, whatever, whatever helps you, whatever is best for you. And then I eventually, when I'm like, when I have a free time through the day, I'm like, oh man, what do I, what do I need to do? And then I look at this list and I'm like, oh, oh, there's all this stuff. And then I think, oh, well, I have time for this, or I can actually make time for this. And I can start planning in my head where everything is going to go because it's, it's already written down. You know, I think the hardest, the hardest part that people have is getting those ideas out of their head and into some kind of physical, tangible form. And if you can do that in any way, whether it's a doodle on a notepad or a couple of lines of dialogue or text on a Word document, do it. Yeah, I I mean, that is is the hardest thing because it's never going to be as good as it is in your head. No, it's never going to be. (laughs) But you just have to just a few few more questions I've got um, got um, ask as uh, uh, standard. So from the sounds of it, um, Brer Rabbit, that's that that seems it's likely to be like a a long ongoing project. um, And you've done a few anthology stories as well have you got like a preference to this uh either like long form storytelling that you're doing what you're planning on doing with brother rabbit or kind of short form is there a preference there or um kind of like what would your ideal you know your ideal thing be ideally i would love to have a, a nice long story under my belt more than just like 
a four page story. And, and that's not to knock those like those small anthology stories have a lot of challenges in their own because you have to work within a very limited amount of space where you have to get a story completely told from page one to page four or page eight, however long it goes. And that's very challenging. You actually see a lot of that in the old like Sunday comic strips. Some people would say like, oh, it's just like the peanuts. But being able to go from one panel, like setup, punchline, joke delivery and have it be one complete thing, that can be really rough because sometimes you want to express more. You want to be able to have your character have each individual movement and stage, but you don't have that. So there is a challenge to working within that. But to go back to the more overall point, um, I have written a lot of stuff. Like I have a lot of scripts that are like pretty much ready to go. If I just had like in like enough money to pay a bunch of people to do a bunch of art, or if I just had someone come in and say, Hey, we're going to produce this art for you, or we're going to get this published for you. So I've written everything from like, you know, short anthology tales to um, like graphic novels to stuff that could go on for a hundred issues. Um, uh, yeah, like what would I prefer? I don't know. It kind of, I guess it depends on my mood and depends on what story I'm writing. Yeah, some people really do want to do, they want to have that that magnum mm-hmm. opus graphic novel published at some point where others oh, yeah. of course you know, I, you know i spoke to a couple of people who've got adhd and autism is like the the, the the idea of attempting to do something like that is just nightmarish and they're they're, mm. they're they're very much happy just doing their their their, their five ten page comics and just having a few people read them yeah it's kind of a kind of next question kind of leading on from that and i think you sort of touched on it a little bit in your previous answer is kind of like what does success look like to you um, and you can take that however you however you want you can take that in terms of like uh just about comic books life in general what you're doing tomorrow uh, <laughs> how, how you, you can take the scope of that question as broadly or as narrowly as you like well i think success in comics would just be knowing that there are people who want to read what i write that someone will pick up the story that i've put like probably like years of time into just thinking about writing developing uh, waiting on rewriting and that they might come back and say, you know, this was really great. I learned this from it, or I, I saw this in a different way from that. And I would think, wow, that's great. I reached out to somebody with my art and it influenced them. And I think that's what a lot of people with their art want. They want people to be influenced and they want to be noticed. They're, I mean, of course, everybody who makes something wants there's something to be noticed in one way or another. You kind of touched on touched on kind of rewriting there. What's your editing process like? Is that um is that like a collaborative process kind of how many how many drafts do you yeah, yeah just talk about a little bit about your editing process before okay. I start adding too many details to yeah. the question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I um I mean I don't have a solid decision of okay I'm gonna do three drafts, this and that. I usually will write up a draft. I'll look through it myself. I do have, you know, uh, friends and colleagues and discord groups that I'm in where if you throw them a script, they'll critique it because probably they're also looking for someone to critique their script. So I like to bounce it off people. I like to get things uh, heard. But uh, sometimes at a certain point, 
you kind of got to just move forward with the story instead of constantly trying to edit one thing until it's like the perfect diamond that it could, that it's never going to be. <laughs> Sometimes you got to just send it off and be confident with what you have. And I think that it's very much an intuitive thing. It relies on, you know, other people's opinion, but also you going, you know, I'm happy with what I've written. You sent the script off to uh, the artist. What's what's that process like kind of like on your end? Do you kind of get into discussions with them in terms of like changes that maybe needed mm-hmm. to be made? And then kind of like when you get the art back, is there further changes that you that you make uh, make to like dialogue and stuff like that? Yeah. So typically I will write out a script and once I've picked out an artist, I'll look at their portfolio. I'll think, you know, this might work. This might not. Um, I give them a try. Sometimes I'll ask them to just do like a, a quick sketch of the character just to see what they've got. And then once we get into things, um, I'll usually have them do their rough draft. Usually that's a, a pencil or a black and white. And then I have them send it back to me. And then I'll let them know if it matches the, the script and how I need it to be uh, visually. Because when I'm writing a script, what it what it really is, is I'm sort of directing the artist on how things need to uh, visually be placed onto the page. And there's a push, push and pull of that because there's also, you have to respect the artist that they are the artist and they have their art style and you have to um, trust them to do their art. So I try not to be too perfectionist. Like if a writer does something that, I'm, the artist does something that wasn't exactly the way I put it in the script. I'll look at it, and if I if it still works, a lot of times I'll go, okay, yeah, let's do that, because I think that's a very important part of the author artist relationship. Is you're basically both trying to make the same thing come to life in the physical world, but with different tools. And so you have to work together on that. What's coming up next for you? Kind of what projects are you working on? Uh, projects that I'm working on. In terms of Bro Rabbit in the Jazz Age, I'm waiting for the prints to come back, which then I'll be mailing out. And then once I have physical copies, I'll be trying to go to some of the comic conventions that are around my state, uh, promote it, sell it, all that kind of thing. In terms of writing, I always have scripts that I'm working on on some level, thinking about updating. I have a lot of stuff in my backlog that is almost ready to go. I would just need uh, the time, the effort, and the money to get to get them pushed forward, which is its own obstacles. Um, and as you mentioned in the beginning, I have my own YouTube channel. It is called All Hail King Rex. Uh, I actually started it about five years ago and then paused because I went back to school and then picked it up uh, about almost a year ago today. And now I'm making videos on there again. It's about comics. I do video essays, character studies, uh, reviews, things like that. Uh, Some of the things that I most recently did was a three-parter series all about the Zack Snyder DCU, his trilogy of Man of Steel, uh, the Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, and the Justice League which I'm going to admit I am a Snyder fan. I love the Snyder cut. I know a lot of people 
hate that, but I love it. And I think I make pretty compelling arguments as to why they're good. I have videos about comics that have been made by literal religious cults. Um, and one of my most popular videos recently was about how uh, Spider-Man and Venom is actually kind of a toxic love story. So yeah. that's been doing pretty good. That's that sounds great. So kind of just a, a YouTube channel where you're doing uh, video essays on on comics. That we we yes. always need more more of those, I think. Uh, and kind of the, the, the last question uh, that I've kind of got is there anything that I didn't ask about um, that perhaps I should have? Um, I don't know. I was expecting you to ask me something like my favorite food or favorite comic or something like that. <laughs> but uh, you've been yeah. more professional about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> So, uh, Carl, can you please let people know where they can find you on the internet and where they can perhaps p- purchase uh, um, your comics and stuff like that? Yeah, uh, one of my main sources you can find me at is All Hail King Rex on YouTube. I have links to both my uh, comics portfolio site, which is K-Law Comics uh, at Squarespace. Besides that, I don't use Twitter very often. I just got on threads, but it's not quite up and running yet. So uh, if you want to contact me through email, you can also contact me through kingrex929 at gmail.com if you want to get to me directly. So yeah. That's it. Great. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much. So uh, thanks for um, coming to discuss uh, the Pineapples of Wrath with us. So uh, just once again, Pineapples of Wrath is going to be published in the United States and the UK in August of this year. Thank you once again to Francois for sending us uh, the review copies for that. Just a couple of notices. So we're going to be launching, our, uh, uh, not a Kickstarter, what's the other one I'm thinking about? We could be launching our Patreon soon to help keep the, the 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 lights on if you can please subscribe to our youtube channel cole is doing a fantastic job of uh putting up uh videos on there where he's just discussing books that he is uh reading uh, they're not full reviews they're more like um just like quick discussions about the the artworks and things that he does and doesn't like they're usually spoiler free if you can um please support the pod by either leaving a tip in the chip jar or leaving a review on whatever app uh, you found us on or kind of just recommending us to your friends you can get in touch with us by social media I think we're at C3 panel on just about everywhere or you can email us at C3 panel at uh, gmail.com uh, let's say bye Kyle bye Kyle bye <laughs> okay <laughs>